Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Coral Chihuahua. Second inversion chords. Second inversion chords. We're still waiting for the first opportunity to actually sit in a room together. So today on my virtual right is the director of E. Fagellini, Robert Hollingworth, and to my virtual left, Harry Christophers, the director of The Sixteen. I'm Eamon Dugan, the conductor and singer with both of these groups. Chaps, we're into double figures. How about that? Bit of a surprise, isn't it? Um, still odd not to be in the same room. By the way, do you mean politically to your left and politically to your right? <laughs> I oh. certainly hope not. Which, which was I again? I'm not, I'm not opening that can of worms. <laughs> I think we think we should move on. Today, we have a guest joining us who uh, will surely get your tails wagging. He's a true national treasure, enjoys an international career on the operatic stage and concert platform. He's a renowned recitalist, a prolific recording artist, and a much in-demand composer. Indeed, in the first ever episode of Coral Chihuahua, Robert referred to him as, and I quote, an irritatingly talented man. <laughs> He's rarely to be found without his beaming smile and somehow always finds time for everyone who wants some of his time. Welcome to the legend that is Roderick Williams. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Roddy, and lovely to have you with us. Uh, but first, a public health notice. What was that, Roddy? Can you, do you remember? Do you remember this? I I remember that very clearly. That's a, that's a piece of Elgar. He was going to turn it into a full um, a cantata because one of his friends had rather um, irritated him by smoking in his house. So he was going to write a full orchestral cantata. I mean, I think that was four horns. The whole the whole shebang, the, the full orchestra. 
Um, but in the end, that's the only movement he wrote, and it lasts all those seconds. Wonderful. That was the BBC Philharmonic with Sir Andrew Davis and his smoking cantata. Yes. Sponsored by Benson and Hedges, no doubt, in yeah. those days. Yeah. <laughs> now, Roddy, you've been at, at the forefront of British musical life for some time now. Uh, soloist in Last Night at the Proms in 2014, Royal Philharmonic Society, Singer of the Year in 2016, made an OBE in 2017. I could go on, um, but it didn't always look like a career as a performer was on the cards for you. Um, take us back to where it all started. Well, gosh, I mean, I'm wondering going how far back I should go. I think there was a, a particular moment at um, university, for example, where I first bumped into Robert um, and uh, uh, he was founding a Fagellini and I was lucky to be at the beginning of that. And, and I, I go back there because I was surrounded by singers in a group like that, and I hadn't realised that singing existed as a career. I, th I think I was, I, I programmed myself to become a classroom music teacher, that's what I thought I was going to be, and I really enjoyed my singing, and I found myself in the company of people like, uh, well, Susan Gritton, uh, uh, Andrew Tucer, Henry Wickham, uh, Richard Wynne Roberts, uh, 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 Anna Mark, and all these these wonderful people, uh, some of whom are going to go, go on and, and have great careers as singers themselves, and they presumably knew that you could earn money from making music. I had just no idea. So uh, um, I think watching what they did uh, uh, was... It was a sort of real kicking off point for me. I, as far as I remember, they were very busy watching you at the time. But um, yeah, I, I, I remember that, that Monteverdi concert that we did. It had an awful lot of very fast notes in, which was pretty new to everyone, I think. Um, rather scary. But um, do you know, we met before that, and I'm glad it stayed in your mind. It was it was on one of those <laughs> choral courses that uh, Ralph Hallward set up that are now called Eton Choral Courses, and they were back at Uppingham. Do you remember? Um, you were you were probably too busy being followed around by a lot of very excited girls who were very taken with one of your compositions, a Sanctus. Do you remember that? I do remember that, but I I, I remember it the other way around. I was trying I was following around the um, the girls. <laughs> thing, you, you have to remember, I wore very very thick um, national health glasses at that time. I looked like sort of uh, uh, Mr. Magoo, and uh, so. Uh, that, yeah, I, I don't think I could see many of the girls before things, but I mean those you know those were the, the glory days, and, it, and of course it was those choral courses that um, that also introduced me to the whole concept of singers and singing and people who seemed to know where they were going, and and, and it's a wonderful list, Eamon, uh, 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 of things that, that sound like achievements, but it, that's the benefit of hindsight. I mean, at the time, yes. looking forwards, I had no idea that uh, that this might turn into a career or a career path. It was a series of very fortunate accidents in my case. Was there lots of music at home, Roddy? Was there, you know... yeah, yeah, there was, because my my parents were were great listeners to music. Uh, my father was uh, was a management consultant, but actually a um, an inner Renaissance man. He. He did all sorts of artistic things. He wrote short stories and a bit of poetry, wrote a bit of music. He, he played classical guitar and, and sang a little bit. So that was very inspiring to us as a family. And my mother had a, had a real weakness for um, Italian grand opera. She loved her Puccini. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. um, so we, we would have Radio 3 on around the house a great deal. And if that's the soundtrack to, your, um, uh, to, to growing up, that's what you get used to. You sang with Fudge for a bit and then you disappeared and you did a PGCE, didn't you? 
Yeah, that's right. That was that we at the time. You see, that was part of the program for me, and it was lovely to 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 dally with all these wonderful singers in a group like Evangelini. But then I had to, you know, um, get my head down, and then and I because I was I was also um, uh, getting married at that time. I was I think I was about twenty two when I got married, um, uh, and so I need to be able to support my dear and lovely wife. In actual fact, she supported me for the first few years. We won't go into that now. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and so the PGCE was a means to an end to start to start a, a long and illustrious teaching career but I did just notice that various of my friends um, were going out and doing this professional singer thing and I didn't think much of it until my wife challenged me one day she just asked me what my ambition in life was and I hadn't really thought about it up until that moment I just said I'd quite like to try this singing thing. It's funny isn't it it's funny how how it goes and, and the lack of a sort of five-year plan. I think these days, anyway, what's your plan for five years and 10 years and 15 years? And to a lot of extent, yours and, and my career was just, well, I do this now and we'll see what comes in after that. But I do remember you coming back into Fagellini after, uh, after your PGC um, and you came in and you walked through the door and we were already sitting there and you said, good evening and expenses. And it, and it, and it, and it took off from there. And at the time, and this feeds into our next little track, you were, uh, we, we were doing a lot of um, Renaissance little music theatre pieces, sort of five, ten minute long pieces, which later, I think probably after your time, we got Peter Wilson to stage from us. But what we're going to hear now is a piece called La Bomba. Do you remember anything about that? Yes, I do. I remember it being uh, a, a very scary, a, 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 a lot of fun. I'd say a huge amount of fun, which is very much the Fagellini way. And scary, also the Fagellini way, because it's in someone else's language. There are an awful lot of notes and there's absolutely nowhere to hide in it. And you have to, you have to make it sound as though you've been singing and enjoying this stuff for, for decades. And in actual fact, um, it, it, I remember those early concerts. It's, it's one level up from sight reading. <laughs> well, there's Eamon's phrase, sight reading by heart. Um, now, this particular piece is uh, its a Christmas piece, and the, uh, it's about uh, some sailors being shipwrecked, and then where we join it, uh, they've just been saved from shipwreck, and they're going to sing a little uh, a, a song, uh, but they had to take out their guitar, which has got slightly damp in the process. Atanier con tu guitarra, y nosotros te ayudaremos. Espera, Espera que esté templada, siempre bien Sube, sube un poco más. Muy bien está. Ande pues nuestra Jesús, 
Lovely stuff. Was that Robin Blaze I could hear at the top there? Yeah, Robin Blaze, Hugh Wilson, uh, me on baritone, and Roddy on, on, the, on the bottom of the texture, actually, wasn't it, Roddy? On base. Yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> I love the, the way you can hear you can hear the acting through the voices uh, and, and the enjoyment in it there. Um, Roddy, I mean, that's that sort of echt Fagiolini, isn't it? Yes, it, 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 it's extraordinary. It's funny you should mention Robin Blaze because when I arrived as a choral scholar at Magdalen College, Oxford, um, uh, Robin was in his last term as a treble. And in fact, I seem to remember we were recording an album of um, English anthems and his voice broke during the recording of <laughs> Blessed City, Heavenly Salem. So he sang the opening solo and a chap called Carl Dyson, who's also a choral scholar later in life, Carl um, finished the solo at the end uh, and then a few years later it seemed like just a just a few brief years later i was working with the finzi singers and into the session walked robin blaze essentially the same a bit taller <laughs> but 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 singing in the same in the same fuck so it was it was, it was wonderful just it got a glorious voice that's amazing because actually when you're at maudlin at roddy didn't you have a rather interesting uh, um little vocal group with Paul Agnew and people that oh, have a yes, strange name. Yes. yes, well, singing with four people a cappella, actually, yeah, we did. Well, I did have form there. I was part of the Balfour Gardener Festival Chorus, uh, known <laughs> known colloquially as the Balfour Chorus. To tell you how I feel, to ask you to dance, and I finally found the moment and the words for what I'm trying to say. Somebody out there loves you. And then once that joke had waned very thin, we've changed the name to voice traffic and promptly split up. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset that I cried all the way to the chip shop. When I came out, there was one of standing at the bar stop. And guess who was with him? Yeah, Julie. And they was laughing at me. Oh, she is cruel and heartless. Too bad me for Gordon. Just as better looking than me. Just as cool and trendy. But we we were the original a cappella boy band, and long before the group G Four got to it, we were we were doing a cappella versions of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and all, all the rest. We could have been famous, you know. Well, oh. they were staggeringly good. I used to come to those concerts in the Hollywood Music Room, uh, and they were so exciting. And and all the again, I come back to this. There were a lot of excited young women in the audience, Roddy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I was married. Um, so so yeah, that, well, no use to me at all. Straight to me. 
Uh, staging those uh, those magical comedies uh, might have been a first, uh, you know, first dip into, um, you know, working on stage. Was there always a yearning to tread the operatic boards for you, Roddy? You mentioned your mum's love of Puccini and and grand Italian opera. Well, actually, you know, I, it, because again, you have to remember that I had no imagination whatsoever, no imagination or ambition. So. <laughs> Although my mother was listening to a lot of this uh, 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 Puccini and, and other opera, a lot of Britain opera as well, because um, uh, I remember my rep, my parents' record collection very clearly. I remember exactly what operas they they, they were listening to. Um, whenever it had come to something dramatic uh, at school, for example, I would most often find myself in the orchestral pit. Um, so I'd never really tried this acting thing, and it was only when, uh, as a uh, as a young uh, professional singer just starting out that I I took recommendations to go and get singing lessons from David Pollard who taught at the Guildhall School of Music it was only when I went to see him that he suggested going to the Guildhall uh, slightly later in life I was almost 30 not, not you know, end of my 20s he suggested going there to study with him regularly because he said I would make faster pro progress with regular lessons and that was absolutely true as it turned out and, and I looked at the various courses on offer, and the opera course looked a great deal of fun, you know, with 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 uh, combat training and dance classes and and and, and makeup lessons <laughs> and stuff, and you know, lots of false noses and and, and 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 wounds across your forehead and lots of stuff. It looked great fun. A two-year postgraduate course, so I signed up for that. And the next thing I knew, I was I was acting, darling, and it was um, it's huge fun being someone else. It's great fun. Who taught, who taught this sort of stagecraft there at the Guildhall in those days? There were various different um, uh, teachers there. The wonderful Patrick Libby, unfortunately, he was there for one term and then he unexpectedly died. And in that oh. one term, I learned a huge amount from him. Um, there were various visiting um, uh, directors who would come from the outside world and do scenes with us. And, 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 and there was also from the drama school, there was a man called Ken Ray who who worked with all the with all the actors, uh, wonderful people like Ewan McGregor and you know, all sorts of people you'd never heard of, and and he he was very it was very different working with him because he wasn't on the vocal staff he was kind of on loan and again things that he taught me um, I remember uh, and used to this day still and and yeah if I if I paint you a picture of the Guildhall at that time. Um, you, if you turned up at about half past nine in the morning, if you're a singer, that's awfully early, you would see just piles of actors in sweatpants and joggers lying in corridors half asleep because they've been working for three hours already and were exhausted. And then an hour or so later, the opera crew would arrive and, and sail down the corridor, you know, wearing their high heels and <laughs> and earrings. And, and of course, the joke is, and that's just the guys. And, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and of course, we, we, you know, this sort of thing of acting, you think, well, darling, why do I need to act when I can sing like this? Uh, so <laughs> the, the, the drama and the vocal department were, it, it seemed to be quite different. But, but the, the, you know, the things that Ken taught me, uh, things, I, as I say, I use daily. I'll just take you back to the, what you said about uh, not going to Guildhall until you were, you know, nearly 30. I think that's a, do you think that uh, stood you in good stead and was actually, you know, to your advantage? I think as a baritone, going to study a little bit later in life can be a really good thing. Yes, of course. And, and of course, everybody's life plan is entirely different. And I meet plenty of young singers at conservatoires now who are much younger and, and, and full of hunger for an operatic career that, 
it, it worked very much to my advantage to to have been a teacher for a bit in a classroom and and have that experience and that really plays into the 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 sort of recital experience that i have now it it worked for me that i was possibly uh, 5 to 10 years older than a lot of other people in 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 at the guild hall at the time that i'd been on both sides of the educational fence so i really knew how to absorb learning and of course that my voice was just a bit older i think david pollard as a, as a singing teacher recognized in in my that bleating choral baritone, mm-hmm. he recognised that there was a a, 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 a a deeper voice that he could um, work with. But I also brought to opera singing my training as a choral scholar in that I could I could sight read. Well, at that time, I could sight read anything you put in front of me, uh, you know, as a sight reading um, animal. Um, I could remember none of it for more than 15 seconds. So I was a sort of choral goldfish, if you like. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, I worked at that skill of memorising, which again has helped me on opera st- op- on the opera stage and, and in recitals too. Well, if you were a little late starting, then I mean, you've certainly made up for it with a, a phenomenally busy career, uh, singing a huge range of music, uh, with a particular interest in contemporary music as well. It's funny you should mention that about your sight reading, because Robert once told me that you could sight read anything, partly because you're so fluent in so many different styles of music. Um, and we hear this, I think, very much in your alternative career as a composer. I've commissioned four pieces from you. The first two of them were for Britain Symphonia Voices. They could not have been more different. Uh, the first showcasing this ensemble singing background uh, and your skill in writing for voices. And the other, your you know your dramatic flair. And it had a slightly avant-garde edge as well. Um, there's such variety in your writing. Would you say there is a Roddy Williams style? That's an interesting question because I'm not I'm not quite sure I'm I'm I could probably piece together a few things you know various things stick in my mind I remember doing a a piece a, a late night prom with Harry Burt Whistle once and and Harry um, was listening to the other piece in the, in the program that we were were working on and he looked he looked and listened for a bit and he said oh it's so full of cliches he said <laughs> and and I and I sort of I, I had this hot flush of embarrassment thinking. Oh my God! But my own music is full of cliches. <laughs> it's, it's one cliche stitched to the next cliche, and and actually, I began to relax a bit because, for one thing, I, I've I've embraced the idea that as a performer, I absorb all this range of music that you that, that you're talking about, and that in a sense, as a composer, I I regurgitate what I have experienced. And that is, I'm sure, the the idea of the the, the path of many composers. But but I, I've become less and less worried about people listening to music I write and saying, "Oh, Roddy, that's a nice piece. That sounds just like Copeland, or that sounds just like Britain." And now I wear it um, uh, openly, so that a piece like, um, um, for example, the uh, Ave Verum Corpus reimagined after William Byrd, I can place the William Byrd right out in the open and say, "Folks." This is a piece I really love, and I've written a piece around it. Um, so rather it, rather than hide it, it's right out in the open. Uh, it, it, it also um, sometimes makes me think if you if you were to com- if you were to think of a choral composer, um, a, a contemporary British choral composer, I shall mention no names, but supposing you were to commission a piece from that person, and they were to write something completely different you know um, expressionist 12-tone serial or or aleatoric 
you might find that quite confusing. So in a sense, to, with a lot of composers, you kind of commission them in order for them to write the same piece they wrote last time that attracted <laughs> you to them. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, much as I love that, um, uh, uh, for me... Uh, I quite like the idea that when someone commissions me, they have absolutely no idea what is going to come out the other side, because I certainly don't. Well, remembering, of course, that you did actually write us a 13-note tone row oratorio once for a festival back in yeah. the 90s <laughs> with your father's text. With my father's text, exactly. You see, there's my father, Renaissance man, coming out again. Yes, the 13-note tone row. Yeah, that, that was quite good fun, that one. Roddy, when I commissioned you to write a piece for uh, the Thomas Tallis Society, uh, for our 50th anniversary, uh, I remember saying to you, um, you know, nothing too tricky. And you said, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, understood, understood. And then you sent me through the first draft and you said, yeah, I'm sorry about those first 18 bars. <laughs> They're quite challenging. <laughs> Harry, you've commissioned uh, Roddy for the Genesis Foundation. Uh, and in a minute, we're going to hear a little bit of the track O Guiding Night. Yes, well, what I love about Roddy's music is actually one thing about it all is it's incredibly singable. I mean, even if it's difficult, the lines work absolutely beautifully. And this was um, uh, John Sudinsky commissioning um, settings of Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross, and, and Roddy set both of those. But we're going to hear uh, a bit of O Guiding Night, uh, which is absolutely beautiful, Roddy. Thank you.
That was uh, Roddy's O Guiding Night, uh, sung by the 16, and uh, so, so beautiful. Uh, Roddy, you, you mentioned before, I mean, and Eamon was asking about, is, is there a Roddy style in composition? Well, th- there's one piece for me that actually uh, I find is, is so sort of unique, and that's O Odonai, which you wrote, I think, for Jeff Skimmer on Ex Cathedra. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a marvelous piece that starts with these uh, you know high sopranos um, in 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 what, what in the old days we would call it all in boxes all in their own time and speed then the men coming in uh, homophonically underneath and then there's this incredible baritone stroke tenor solo which is just quite amazing I think actually Eamon, you've got a little story about that one uh, I was hoping you weren't going to bring this up Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded it with Ex-Cathedra uh, and the sessions were, it was quite tight for time. And uh, as Harry said, there's, there's a certain sort of free element to it. And uh, I think we did two takes. And in the first take, I got the notes right, but we came slightly too far apart uh, in terms of connection with the, with the, with the gents chorus. And in the second take, uh, one of the phrases was out by about a semitone. And uh, and I think it's that one that went on the disc. And and Roddy, I saw you and uh, you know apologised to you profusely about it. And you said, "Oh, don't worry about it. When I publish it, I'll ju- I'll just write what you what you sang on the recording." <laughs> Which is very gracious of you. But That's you didn't. Which I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's an amazing part. I mean, actually, on our recording, I think it's Mark DeBell singing it at the tenor, of course. Um, yeah, amazing. I mean, Robert, you've commissioned so many things from, from uh, Roddy over the years. Yes, I suppose slightly back into the 90s. I mean, the very first thing we played on Coral Chihuahua was a little bit of Dr. Seuss's Sleep Thoughts, uh, which which I still absolutely love. Um, but you've done arrangements for us. You did The Prom for us a couple of years ago. You did Lifetime, that one-minute piece in which six, was it insects? If different life, life forms, actually including a sort of wind-up toy. There was a wind-up toy. I've forgotten that. That's brilliant. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, there was Lone Man Standing, in which, which, uh, my well, personal favourite. Explain. Yeah, Lone Man Standing. Well, it all came out of the idea that that you, you, poor Robert, you've had to replace so many singers at short notice in the Fagiolini gigs up and down the country. People ringing up on the morning of a of a gig saying, oh, "Robert, I don't think I can manage the soprano part today," and. Uh, <laughs> And so you've just had to stand in. So you've you've, you've sung every voice part at some point, uh, including the soprano parts in, in concerts uh, around the country and around the world. So I wrote a piece for, I think it's probably six, seven, eight singers standing in a row, and which, you, which of course you have to set up as the call director standing outside the group. And then about two pages in, the counter has a cough coughing fit has to sit down so you have to run in and replace the counter tenor and no sooner as the counter tenor returned than the bass uh, rips a, an extra page out of his music accent so you have to dash down and so you can see where this is going because by the end of the piece um which is it, it is one of those pieces it's a sort of a steve markland-esque piece whereby the piece is a is a descending b-flat minor scale from high soprano right down to bass um and in the end all eight singers have sat down and given up and Robert's the only person left singing this scale all by himself. How we laughed. It, <laughs> well, it, it involved actually somewhat one of the reasons a singer leaves the stage is because he gets the giggles. And that was that was all too on. But you also wrote um, some E coming settings, one of which you recorded on Insalata, which were a lovely mix of, of, of speech uh, and voices. We, again, with singers sitting and standing so that the, uh, that the ensemble changed. 
Uh, die Urplug mit Torelli darin, remember that? Yes, yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, great fun, those pieces. Seti Afrikaans. Yes, that was Breiten Breitenbach. Yes, indeed, yes. And, and and a lot of a lot of fun that was too. In actual fact, the the Uplug was was it, it, born out of Lone Man Standing because much as I was having fun in Lone Man Standing, I really loved the music and the chords I'd found. So I thought, oh, I want to use this somewhere else. So I recycled that into a into a serious piece with the the Breiten Breitenbach, the Afrikaans sung by the choir. And the English translation sung sort of almost simultaneously by the soloist all the other way around. So, yeah. No, which, which you put in because we were so fed up with promoters failing to print the text and translations. So you thought, I'll write it into the piece. We did it at Dartington once and they were writing out the Afrikaans poem. And it happened to be written by a Dutch woman who was correcting it because she, she saw this sort of poem yes. and thought, that's, that, that's, that's not Dutch, that's wrong. That's... So she, she was halfway through correcting it when it turned out to be Afrikaans rather than Dutch. How do you find time for all this, Roddy? I mean, is it when you're sort of doing opera um, runs that you're, you know, you're in a hotel in Finland or somewhere like that, and you've got lots of time, and, and, the, and the muse comes to you, and you write, or, or you know, how do you do it? Because your 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 schedule's so ridiculously busy. Well, it, uh, Harry, you know what? That's exactly right, except for one detail. It is indeed in all these hotel rooms, on trains and planes, as I as I go about my singing business, I I, I do this, but it's it's not when the muse strikes. It's when the deadline looms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that's, uh, that sounds familiar. Look, that Afrikaans piece was part of a collaboration that we did back in the 90s, where Ifagellini did with a choir from Soweto um, uh, called the Sodaza Chorale, Seventh-day Adventist Student Association. And we first went out there in 95, didn't we, when we met them mm. and met Mokale and Becca uh, and went back a couple of years later thinking we could make a whole album out of this and uh, mm. Warner sort of paid for this. But I mean, I, I wanted to play something from that, uh, from that collaboration, which was bursting with ideas. I and mean, if you think of that Hilliard Ensemble and Jan Garbarek collaboration, mm. it was a, a fantastic idea repeated, you know, 12 times or something. And the problem with our uh, album was that there were so many different ideas and they were all completely different but tell us about this little bit of gibbons we're going to hear the most of the second half of it the second half of the gibbons well oh clap your hands is 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 the anthem and it 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 it, it transpired that i i really wanted to find a way to um uh, to get the two groups the fagellini from oxford and the stars of Chorale from from soweto to to perform at the same time in their own styles um I couldn't it, it, initially. I couldn't think of the piece uh, with which to do this, but then "Oh, clap your hands" seemed to be the perfect thing, and I used the the harmonic framework of the second half to write something for the uh, the stars of Corale to sing in their own their own way, and uh, it, 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 I, I don't. Know, I just had a ball doing this. I thought it was. I thought it was a great fun. I, one of these days, you know, when I shuffle off this mortal coil. I shall ascend or descend, and there will be a line of composers standing there waiting, and they'll see me coming. And they'll say, "Excuse me, are you Roger Williams?" And I say, "Yeah." And they go.
Misa. Drew Misa. Musho as well. Yeah. And I, that, the review never quite, the reviews never quite got that piece. But live, it was absolutely electric because we sang the first half of the piece as is. Uh, there's another phrase going back to that tour, uh, Brett Piper. And, and then they would jump up in the second half and, and, and take part. So thrilling. It was great. And, and if we were lucky, the piece would go up in May on a third or so. You know, it was, just, <laughs> it, was, it was just so electric. Yeah. Well, that would keep Wilson happy. <laughs> I love that. Roddy, it's clear you've got this, this absolutely vast musical frame of reference. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about how, you know, Björk, she's got this absolutely vast frame of reference as well. There's a, there's a track on her album Vespertine, uh, Unison, where she samples Viri Galilei by Patrick Gowers. Um, which it's just for me that's extraordinary that, that she should even know this that piece. Um, you continue to immerse yourself in new musical experiences. Uh, I heard on the grapevine the other day about you relatively recently singing alto uh, in the chorus of a Mahler symphony at the Royal Academy of Music. Ah yes, now <clears throat> uh, it, it was uh, uh, I was uh, attempting uh, uh, <laughs> I was attempting the bass line to be to be fair, um, but I was I was sitting in in amongst the um, the, the old lags because Mahler's second symphony has a very very low beginning for the basses it goes down to bottom B flat so I was pe- with people like Richard Savage and Nick Garrett at, at the old lags end because the rest of them are all were, were all students, but. Um, by the time the, the, it got to the bit to sing, I could. I was so choked up, I couldn't. Really, I couldn't really sing anything at all. I, just, I was just basically weeping my way through the end of this symphony. But it was, it's. It, I tell you, the the career I have at the moment uh, is is nearly all solo, and one of the things I miss from my uh, Ifagellini days is blending, choral blending. Um, and uh, uh, certainly that chance to sing with the students, the, uh, the collective students in that symphony was a chance to remember what it's like to sing with massed voices, hundreds of people. So it doesn't matter if I'm braying and sobbing and basically, you know, singing, you'll never walk alone in the middle of this mala, because it's just, it's it, 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 the effect of the whole thing together is overwhelming. Oh, it's amazing. It must uh, be a fond memory, especially you know, in these times when we, you know, we can't get together to sing at all. And speaking of new experiences, uh, performing to empty halls, you know, as you did your Wigmore recital recently, is probably an unwelcome new experience. How did you find that? Well, it it, it wasn't such a new experience because you have to remember my my beginning of my recital days. I would, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you would invite you'd invite the three people who come. Do you, do you three know each other? Do you want to come and sit together? You know, it's a, uh, so so it's just a really return to that. But but it is strange. I, I've just sung at St Martin in the Field this this previous weekend. We 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 sang a Fario Requiem. Carolyn Sampson was there singing the soprano solo, and. Um, it, we sang to capacity audiences, in other words, 85 people, um, all of them wearing masks. But it, it, the thing was that I could see their eyes and uh, I could see the connection was there. This is, that was, I think, probably the first time I'd sung to an audience at close quarter for um, six months. And to be able to see the music landing uh, I could see it in their eyes, but it was quite special. And particularly the poor woman who was weeping before I started singing and wept all the way through. Um, yeah, that, that, that didn't help, but, uh, but it, it made the connection um, uh, really secure, really personal. 
maybe she maybe she's listening and would like to sponsor the next episode (laughs) please get in touch you're talking about small audiences for recitals just remind me of a a story that someone told me i think it was james gilchrist james if you're listening apologies if it wasn't you but happened to do a recital and just one person in the audience and uh james thought well i'm going to sing the recital anyway so he, he did it and got to the end and said to the gentleman he said well thank you so much for coming. You know, it was really great to just have someone sing to. And the chap said, oh, no, I've just come to lock up the church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Roddy, we've, we've touched on this. You know, you've got the, you do have a, an extraordinarily busy career. How do you maintain your form? Uh, you mentioned David Pollard, your teacher. Do you, do you still have lessons or, or a vocal MOT? Yeah, I do go to David whenever I can. Um, uh, and particularly if I'm working in London, uh, on English National Opera, I happen to be working with them at the moment. And that's with whom I was working when, when lockdown was announced. Um, it gave me a chance to be in London for, for a while. And I managed to have several consecutive lessons, which is, which is always terrific. You know, the one-off lesson is... is great when i get the, the chance but to have several in a row is is brilliant and we're still discovering things uh, about my singing you know um enatural for example that was a new one and uh it's it's great to <laughs> there, there it, speak it, to baritone yeah. <laughs> enatural. And, yeah yes yes i i, I would just sing e flat but slightly higher that was my, my yeah. approach in the past <laughs> and um uh, and david is 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 wonderful because he's always had a game plan. I, I have never had a five-year plan, as we were discussing earlier on, but David has always thought in much longer in longer vision. And um, he has been able to um, introduce me to new repertoire, um, operatically, certainly, uh, 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 things that I, I might just be ready for. But one of the things I think that's kept me healthy is not singing music that was uh, that is out of my comfort zone i i did once at, at um in delhi and the, the saint delian summer festival i once sang scarpia in tosca and singing that in a small church amongst friends it was a very good way to learn a piece that's that was outside of my capability and it was a singing lesson actually i was a better singer from having studied and learnt to sing that piece admittedly at the third performance um, I'd run out of voice and was doing most of the end by sign language, but um, but the, the experience of singing such glorious sort of post bel canto music really brought me on as a as, as a singer. Roddy, you got. I mean, you do have the most. It, it's the most beautiful baritone voice. But Ooh. of course, how do you get? We talked. You 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 alluded to it slightly earlier in, in the in the in the program, and you you have this wonderful. Um, depth to your tam lower, lower lower down and which which makes you sound as if you know you could go even further how, <laughs> how have you how have you yeah. i mean i think you know i think barrett you know young baritones out there will, will want to know you know just how how do you develop that how do you how do you work at that oh, I, now now you foxed me there because uh, um I'm assuming that, that every every singer has their particular gift, their particular um, uh, sweet spot in their voice. You know, a little little minor third somewhere in the middle of your voice that's, uh, that works that's me. well. <laughs> Just sit there and keep it keep it going. But um, and and some people have got a, a ringing top to their voice. Other people have a wonderful vocal extension. I'm thinking of Chris Purvis here, who's mm. who is a baritone, but is also a deep comedy bass for those awkward moments. Um, and and uh, it, it, we're, we're all of us different. Now, I happen to have been g- 
gifted a voice that is, you can describe it as a baritone, but I have the lower notes to be able to attempt a, a, a great deal of Baroque bass repertoire at Baroque pitch. So rather than uh, singing, for example, um, Messiah, the people that walked in darkness and having to use gas and air for the low note, I do have those notes. Um, but uh, the, the trade-off is that maybe I don't have um, thrilling baritonal top B-flats um, that some of my uh, uh, colleagues have. Well, but, you know, I, I wonder, Roddy, voice. whether I could just uh, interrupt you because the, uh, when you sang on the last night of the proms, you did uh-huh. involve, uh, you did produce a high B-flat, didn't you? I did, but but that was with a, a little bit of a, a, a there was a little bit of a hinge and bracket. There was a little I just <laughs> ni- nipped up into falsetto there, and uh, my only the only reason I did did, did that was that, you know there are two reasons. First of all, that was in the reprise of the last verse. Sakario Ramo uh, turned to the audience and said, "Should we do that last verse again?" And we, and we did the last verse of Rule Britannia again. And I I thought I've remembered all three verses um, without having a senior moment, so. I'm going to celebrate. Uh, so I thought I'd do a, a crazy ornament. And I did it because I wanted to make the BBC singers laugh. <laughs> so, Good on you. I, I knew they'd all be behind me. And I knew, I knew I could corpse them if I just... <laughs> yes, but that was that was a judicious use of uh, a falsetto. <laughs> Harry mentioned their younger singers listening to this and wanting to know how you do that. You work with young singers you know, whenever you get the chance to, I know you've done coaching at the Guildhall School of Music and, uh, and at the Royal College. And on a, one of our recent uh, Genesis 16 courses, which we had to do virtually, uh, you came in and gave a great session uh, to our singers. Um, you've got a new focus working with M- Momentum now. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Momentum, uh, Momentum, our future now, or, or, or just to, to, to disassociate it from anything um, political, Robert, uh, left wing. Um, uh, momentum is a, is a, has been devised by the Canadian soprano conductor Barbara Hannigan as an immediate response to the situation we find ourselves in, which is uh, that with so little work going around, there's a whole a, a band of young singers, conductors and what have you, young artists call them, who are, are completely deprived of opportunities. You know, if I if I was starting my career uh, now in my 20s and hoping to find, you know, the odd messiah or creation that I could learn in, you know, and, and perform in Scrapton-upon-Sea Call Society, that it just isn't there. And the opportunities that are coming now, um, concerts at the Wigmore Hall, for example, or um, singing Foray Requiem at St. Martin the Field, or even doing the Laboem at ENO at the moment, those opportunities are few and far between and are being given to what you might describe as established, established singers. And I'm very lucky to consider myself one of those. But it means, as I say, there's a whole generation of people um, who are losing out. And... Um, I think we're very worried uh, uh, about those people and, and, first of all, how they will earn a living. And secondly, um, where they will find opportunities to gain stage experience. So the idea of the momentum really at the moment is to is to share opportunities and, and share recitals, share stage experience. It may well be that we can actually get the artist onto the platform with us and literally share. So, you know, I've got some recitals coming up where I'll sing two-thirds of the programme and someone else will sing a third of the programme. Or it might just be, we've um, got some uh, 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 orchestral Mahler songs coming up um, at the beginning of November. And it may well be that I just have to uh, to bring a team of people with me there. It won't be so appropriate to swap in and out. But I can bring a team of younger singers 
um, who can learn alongside me and network and, and get those contacts that they wouldn't otherwise be allowed at the moment. So that, that's that's the idea, just to share opportunities rather than compete for them at the moment. Sounds like a great, uh, a great project. If anyone wants to know any more about it, you can uh, visit the website, which is momentum-now.com. Um, really, we're reaching towards the end of our time. I just want to sort of finish... Um, Talking about your your work as a as a recyclist and um, in particular your your leader work, you've another ongoing journey that you're on is to, to immerse yourself uh, in different languages and in particular German. Uh, I know that you've worked with a with a particular coach for a long time, uh, and this has been a as you told me recently a, a really important relationship. Would would you say that that's sort of akin to your relationship with David Pollard and and you know that working relationship how it how it develops? Yeah, I think it is. It, it, it's it's really useful to be able to to spend time concentrating hard on something. And this is a, the the flip side of what I described at the beginning about being a, a sight reading machine. Um, the the whole idea of of spending uh, uh, time learning something, not necessarily from memory. That that, that that doesn't have to be that, but just to be able to immerse yourself in one thing rather than necessarily being a gadfly in the in the, my sort of career is 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 a wonderful opportunity. So, more recently, in the last five years or so, I've been um, spending time with the 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 three great Schubert song cycles and recording those in German. So I've been working with my uh, f- friend and coach, Gerhard Gall. Now, Gerhard was my coach 10 years ago, but he's we've worked so much together, he's a family friend now. And, and working with Gerhard, we can, really, we can really nerd out about language, not just its pronunciation, but just it, it, but its, its emotional impact on for us as individuals and we can get our hands really dirty so in the way that that, that harry has immersed himself in in a particular style of of music for the 16 while also doing everything else but it's really getting his hands dirty with that and robert with monteverdi for example we each have these things that that mean a great deal to us while also um uh, spreading our net wide just just for our for variety's sake which takes us into a, an interesting sort of end point, which is Schubert, but in English, despite all that. I mean, it's interesting what you're saying, but the singers obsess about pronunciation. And as I get older, although I'm very interested in language, I'm much more interested in understanding and, and syntax, because I think the first uh, the first step on being an expressive singer is understanding the syntax. If you can explain, if you understand where your, your, your noun and your subject and your verb is, then you can more easily explain the text. But you've, you've recorded Winterreiser in English. In fact, I watched the recital of it the other day, uh, which is a totally different idea, isn't it? Yes, and I think I, I think it feeds into what I was saying about, about nerding out. It's, 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 it, it's about finding some sort of emotional connection because it's 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 one thing to be able to pronounce words well uh, when you sing and that, that's by no means a, a, a done deal so just being be able to pronounce words so that people can understand them in real time is, is is one thing but to find an emotional connection which gives you a reason to sing them in the first place that's another thing and mm. i think we probably be all aware of some wonderful singers who make a glorious sound but you get the feeling that they don't necessarily um, mean what they say. They don't need to mean what they say with beautiful voices. They don't 
you know they can they can phone it in they can read the singular the phone book and uh, but what interests me a great deal now is people who access the uh, the emotional core of what whatever it is they're singing and singing um winterreise in english jeremy sam's translation comes out as winter journey gives me a chance to make a personal connection i remember even for example singing the hurdy-gurdy man the very last song of winterreise der Leiermann. Um, um and i sang this in sheffield having passed a man on the street corner sitting on a rug playing a penny whistle um and I, it, it, and of course, it, it brought a lump to my throat as as I made the connection for myself while I was performing, possibly possibly one that wasn't very helpful for my singing, but it but it was deeply helpful in in connecting um, feelings. But that it's, was linked into the project with Streetwise, doesn't it? Uh, yes, Roddy, yes. which is is on is that on hold at the moment? I can't remember because it was due to be this year, wasn't it? It was due to be this year, and it's such a shame it couldn't happen because it was it was going to be it was going to be so it, so interesting on so many levels. But yes, it does feed directly into that, not least because um, uh, Streetwise as a as a as a project for 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 the homeless. Um, uh, it was a, a experience, a chance for them to explain to me what happens when you lose everything. It's not the end. They were going to pick me up at the end of Winterizer and take me off in into pastures new, which is why we called it after winter. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, on hold, as you say, Harry, and with any luck, we'll get a chance to pick that up in the future. Yes, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal charity and a phenomenal organisation. We did a Matthew, we did a passion with them a few mm. years ago. It mm. was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, so just, just amazing. They're doing I mean, who that, that wasn't. That's not Jeremy Sams's translation, though, is it for that, or is it? it? It is Jeremy Sam's translation oh, Jeremy. for Winter. Oh. Yes, because because yeah. um, uh, very specifically because his he, he has translated so much opera for for Eno and various other organisations, um, and his father had said to him, Eric Sam's the wonderful um, uh, leader um, academic, had kind of said to, warned him off translating song. He said, you know, no, you can translate opera because that's you know that's just libretti, that's just rubbish. But but you know, a, a song is poetry, so don't don't translate that. So Jeremy nodded and 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 waited. And eventually when his father was, shall we say, off the scene, um, um Jeremy uh, felt able now to approach um um a, a, a translating leader. And it was Christopher Glynn, the pianist, who commissioned him for the Rydell Festival to look at these three great Schubert song cycles. And, and that has unlocked Jeremy. He's now gone into Schumann. He's gone into Wolf. He just, we did the translation of his um, Italian songbook. He's yes, just done yes. for me um, Beethoven um, to, to the uh, uh, Far Off Beloved. And, and he's just on fire. So, so that English audiences or non-German speaking audiences, English speaking audiences can ex- can experience this music without the filter of language in order that they can then go back to the original and have that emotional collection, even though they don't, un- they don't understand the German word for word. He's brilliant, Jeremy. Is. I mean, everything's written on the back of a postcard. It's just hilarious. His brain is just amazing. He's the sort of Jennifer Saunders of, uh, of the, the music world. <laughs> <laughs> but because he's also a composer, he's many things. He's a director. He's, he's so many different things. Because he's a com- he is a composer, he writes words that um, that if you'd given them to, say, Schubert for this winter journey, Schubert might have looked at those English words and thought, yeah, I've got a melody for that, and produced you what you have in the German. That, that's how skillful he is at it. Yeah, brilliant. 
Roddy, it's been wonderful having you with us. I'm conscious of the time. I know you've got to whiz off to ENO to Bohem rehearsals. So we're going to let you sing us out uh, with the penultimate song from Winterreiser, Die Nebensohnen, or The Three Sons. Would you like to just set the scene for us? Yeah, in, in, you know what? In many ways, I think this is the last. This is the twenty-third song, as you say. This is the last of the songs that this, the 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 wanderer out in the snow sings, um, it, conscious of what's going on, because the last song, the the hurdy gurdy man, as they say, is in a slightly different area. And it's at this point that he spots an atmospheric phenomenon, um, whereby he can see the sun three times on the horizon, and. It is a phenomenon, but he, I assume he just thinks he's going barking crazy uh, because he's, hes as I say, lost everything. Roderick Williams with Christopher Glynn in The Three Sons, Jeremy Sam's translation and reimagining, really, of the penultimate song from Schubert's Winterreise, very much available as the CD Winter Journey, the whole cycle, on Signum Classics. 
That was Cruel Chihuahua for another fortnight, brought to you by Ifagellini and the Sixteen and produced by Perseus, the Sixteen, Ifagellini and Polyphonic Films. It's supported using funding from the National Lottery made available through Arts Council England and this episode was further sponsored by Simon Beatty, also a composer. Uh, if you or your choir, we haven't had a choir sponsorship yet, or a couple of friends would like to uh, take on an episode to sponsor it, do please be in touch with either ensemble. We'd be glad to hear from you. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.